the title of uh, the message today uh, is called The Fashion of Christ because Paul's going to tell us about things that we need to put on as a fashion. And so um, what I thought would be interesting is to kind of show you a little video clip of the history of fashion. Um, so here, here's, here's history over 100 years of fashion. Okay, so that was the end of that video, but um, I can't imagine how many times they had to shoot that to get that looking that good. So today, Paul's going to give us some fashion advice, but before we get into the subject of fashion and style, I need to repeat something uh, extremely important from last week, and that is Paul opens chapter three by saying, these instructions are for Christians. He says um, in, in the beginning of chapter three, if you then have been raised with Christ, he wants us to put to death or put off certain things. <clears throat> this, that's important because if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you don't have the resurrected Christ living inside of you, then it's impossible to put to death things like sexual morality or anger. I, I would even say it's difficult with the Holy Spirit living in you if you don't have a complete dependence upon Christ. And so I think this is important. And Paul's going to say the same thing um, tonight when he talks about putting things on. And so last week was putting things off, taking things off killing these things. And today he's going to say, but here's what you should put on. And I want to share the, the opening verse with you. Uh, let's look at what Paul says, the very first verse, chapter three of Colossians, verse 12. He says, after he's going to move away from things we should put off, things we should take off, here's some things we should put on. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And so I think it's important that Paul does the same thing he did last week. And he, before he gets into, here's what you need to do, he reminds us the reason why you need to do this is because Christ has given you so much. He says, put on then as God's chosen one. So the first thing you need to remember is that you're God, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you're God's chosen people. You're God's chosen one. And then he says, you are holy and beloved. So you've already been given holiness. And we ended last week with you know, being reminded that we've gotten holiness already written on our DNA. We are made holy because Christ purchased our soul. He died a horrific death upon the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He, he paid for our sins, all of our sins. And at that time, all of our sins were future, right? And he loves us so much, Paul says, he loves us. And the Bible says that God exhibited his love for us, that while we were sinners, he died for us. And so we have a God who, who made us holy and who loves us deeply and dearly. We are beloved. Isn't that cool? And with that being said, Paul says, since you are already holy and since you are loved by God and you are a chosen person, you're a chosen one uh, of God's children, then this is how you should probably dress. This is what you need to put on. And he says, put these five things on. And the five things actually correlate to the five bad things that we're supposed to take off last week. This week, he's given us five things to put on. And that is compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, or maybe a better word because it just makes more sense to me is gentleness and patience. In fact, I, I want to look at each one of these individually really quickly. And what I want to do is take just a little bit of a poetic license, if you don't mind. Paul's not actually talking about pants and shirts and jeans, you know what I mean? But, but I want to talk about pants, shirts, and jeans just a little bit so we can help to kind of, you know, remember what we're talking about here. Um, 
So I've asked a supermodel to come up and, and sort of model for us what a good wardrobe. And, and tonight I, I want to, um, to, to break this message out into three points. And those three points kind of have a fashion magazine kind of a feel to it. The first point is five must-haves in every wardrobe. And Chris here, our supermodel, is definitely wearing the five must-haves in every wardrobe. And then we're going to look at the critical accessory that everyone needs. And then we'll talk about how to dress for success. So the first thing I want to do is talk about this, <laughs> this five, these five uh, must-haves in every wardrobe. And Paul gives it to us here. It is a list. So the first one is compassion. And so you need to have a good shirt that's close to your chest, close to your heart, that's a compassionate heart. Now, we all know what compassion is, right? I think we do. I think we all know what it is. It might help to give a really verbal definition. The definition of compassion is to have a deep sensitivity for people's needs, for other people's needs. So I'll repeat that again. A deep sensitivity for other people's needs. That's what compassion is. Um, now, we all know what compassion is, but I'm not quite sure if we all have it, you know what I mean? Or if we all feel it. Do we really feel a deep, I'm going to put this close to your heart so that people can see it, though, at the same time. Compassionate heart. You're, you've got a let me put that right there like that. It looks like compass with that vest on. Compassionate heart. And the second thing that Paul says we need is, what's this word? Kindness. And the word kindness is compassion in action. If you have deep sensitive um, sensitivity to other people's needs, then you will be kind to them. One author says, kindness is Christ-like attitude towards other people. We show kindness. How do you spell that kindness? <laughs> so I'm going to say because our supermodel here is wearing a nice looking vest, he's got a vest over his compassion, which is an external of his internal, right? His internal is a compassionate heart. His external is he's being kind. He's showing kindness to the rest of the world. And the next thing that Paul says we need to put on is humility. Now, I kind of think that humility needs to be pants, right? You, and I think we need well-worn pants, you know, like you've been on your knees a couple of times, or they need to fit really well, because when I was a kid, my mom used to always say, boy, you're getting too big for your britches. You ever hear anything like that? No? Is that the, yeah. just my mom? It's a southern thing, I guess. I'll be, please do, yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I don't think I ever knew what a britches was, but I knew what my mom meant when she said that, because of the context clues, usually. You're being a snot, you're being arrogant, so we need to have humility. Um, if kindness is the um, Christ-like character towards others, humility is Christ-like character towards ourselves. It's the way we look at ourselves. Are we arrogant or are we humble? And we need, Paul says, to put on humility. Then he says we need to put on gentleness. And the word gentleness, I think, could be like maybe a jacket, maybe a nice blazer. I spell gentleness. I'm a horrible speller without spell check on this piece of paper. I'm going to just confess to you, I'm such a horrible speller on spell check. Sometimes spell check can't figure it out. And so I have to like copy it and then put it in Google. And Google always figures it out for me. I feel sorry for my children. I don't know what they're going to do with all this spell checking available. So maybe a, um, a good thing is a nice blazer, a nice sports coat, which is gentleness. And the reason why is because gentleness is humility in action. So if you're a humble person, you're acting in gentleness towards others. And so we're wearing this jacket, we're wearing this blazer, not so that we can think you're all cool, right? And you're all that, but because you've, you've got a humble jacket on a, and it's a, and it's a, and it's of gentleness. And then last but not least, we need patience. And I don't know about you, you may think of something more clever than me, but I think patience should be shoes. 
because we don't want to rush into certain things, right? We don't want to run headlong into certain circumstances. Sometimes we need to casually stroll into them before we get hot-headed. So we need to have patience. And so um, Chris here has got some nice patient shoes. Yeah, not, not with these little stickers. Patient juice. So this is our prime model right here. And Paul tells us these are all the five must-haves in every wardrobe. You need to have these clothes in your wardrobe. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know what I think? If everyone wore, if everyone looked like Chris, right? We would live like in a utopian society, wouldn't we? I mean, if everyone was giving compassion and if everyone was giving kindness and if everyone was giving encouragement and humility and, and being patient with me then, or, or with you, then we would live in this really like utopian society, wouldn't we? Chris agrees. Chris says, yeah, okay. Hey, Chris, you can have a seat now because I don't want you to stand here all night. We would live in a utopian society if everyone lived that way. Can you, what if it was just in the church? What if just within the church, people showed humility, people showed gentleness, people showed compassion, and then we would be like encouraged and loved and full of um, um, mercy towards others and, and humility towards ourselves. And I don't know about you, but that is not the experience that I've had in the church at all. <laughs> so I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. I want to say two things about that experience because my gut feeling is that you've had the same negative experiences. And so the two things I want to say is this. First, the church is full of sinful people. Can I get an amen on that? And the second thing I want to say is, well, again, the church is full of sinful people. And what I mean by that is we're sinful in two different ways. The first thing is that the church is full of sinful people. And this means that even though we have been made holy, and even though we are chosen by God, and even though we are um, um, loved by God, we're still not real comfortable in these clothes. We're still learning how to put on Christ-like character. And so we don't do it so well. Can I get an amen on that? Sometimes we're not compassionate. Sometimes we're not humble. Sometimes we're not patient. Sometimes I'm not patient. <laughs> Most of the time I'm not patient. And when we act the way we normally act, and instead of being comfortable in the clothes Christ told us to put on, um, we look bad. And, and here's the funny thing is that Almost every non-Christian knows that Christians are called to a higher social standard. You know, we're supposed to be compassionate people. We're supposed to not be judgmental. We're so Jesus said, they will know you are Christians by your love. But most non-Christians, when they see you not acting in love and not acting in compassion, they'll call you on it immediately, right? That's kind of sometimes good, I think, that for that they call us on it. But then sometimes they may say something like, well, I'm never going to go to church again because last time I went to church, they judged me and they were mean to me and, and those people are just mean. Anyone have an experience like that or is it just me? Okay. I, I want to say this. If you've had an experience like that, the first thing I want to say is I'm sorry. I really am sorry that that happened. And if I could apologize for that situation, for those people, I would and, and I am. I'm sorry about that. But here's the other thing I want to say is... I would hate for you to miss out on what God wants for you being in a church simply because you had one or two or 10 or 12 bad experiences. When I was in college, I dated one or two or 10 or 12 girls. And every time a girl broke my heart, I didn't say, well, I'm never going to date girls again. Actually, I did say that a couple of times and that lasted a few months. And then I would date another girl again. And eventually I just kept trying until I found the perfect one. And then I married her, right? And so don't give up. The church is full of sinful people. And you're a sinful person too, right? So if you've gone to a church and you've had a bad experience, you might have been part of that bad experience. I would hate for you to give up on it just because of that bad experience. The other thing I want to say is that Christians 
um, are sinful people. And because we're sinful, we, instead of putting on these clothes, we put on knockoff brands of these clothes. Does that make sense? So instead of being compassionate, we put on fake compassion. <laughs> instead of being kind, we put on a fake smile. And there's nothing I hate more than a fake smile. Anyone with me on that? No, just me? Okay, well, don't give me your fake smile. You're doing it right now. Just don't give me your fake smile. I think the church sometimes has had a problem of this backwards kind of a niceness. You know what I'm saying? We'll be nice to you. We'll pretend like everything's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. But then there's this problem. And what we typically do is just sort of avoid the problem. You know, well, here comes Bill. And you know Bill. Oh, he's always saying that. You know, this is kind of push him away because we're trying to be nice to him. Right? You know what I'm saying? But then eventually this problem with Bill just gets bigger and bigger and festers and festers. And then we get ugly about it. We start to gossip behind his back and we start to mistreat him and judge him. And then eventually he's like, I don't understand what's going on. And then he feels hurt and leaves because we have this fake niceness. That's not real. It's not real compassion. It's just a knockoff brand, I think. And so because of that, I think this is why the church has had some bad experiences, or at least I have had bad experiences in the church. But I love what Paul says in this next verse. It comforts me that he's a realist. He doesn't necessarily believe that we're going to have this utopian society. He says this, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So Paul doesn't believe we're going to live in a utopian society. Hey, if you're living in a community and you've got compassion and kindness and, and gentleness and, and, and patience and, and, and you are in, in that community, there's going to be times where you're going to have to bear <laughs> with one another. There's going to be times when you're going to have to have someone complain against you. And it's important probably for you to know that this word complain is not when someone comes to you and says, hey, I, I noticed you've got this thing going on in your life and I've been praying for you and I want to talk to you. I mean, that's, that's discipleship, I think. This word complaint is more like criticism because it follows with forgive that person. You know what I mean? So if someone comes and criticizes you and, and hurts you and complains against you, our response is to forgive them as Christ has forgiven us. He wouldn't have to tell us to have patience if we didn't need to have patience. You know what I mean? He, he knows that problems are going to come. Incidentally, this word bear is interesting. What does it mean to bear one another? I looked it up in the dictionary. To bear means to hold up, support, to carry from one place to another, or to have a tolerance for. We sometimes have to bear people, you know? Do you ever have to bear people? Do you think in your lifetime you're going to have to bear some, some pretty stupid people and you're going to have to forgive people whenever they hurt you? Do you think that's going to happen in your life? Yeah. Does the Pope live in the woods? You know, is the bear Catholic? Yes. You're going to have to do that. And so if you're going to have to bear people, if you're going to have to forgive people, Paul says you might want to start dressing with these five must-haves every day. Compassion, gentleness, kindness, patience, and I missed one earlier. Um, humility. That's the one I needed to remember, probably. <laughs> humility. What I thought we could do at this point is discuss in our, in our groups, which of these garments, these five must-haves, do you need to add to your wardrobe? Maybe they're ones that you don't wear so often. And, and, and how will you do that this week? And I went ahead and put those five on the side there so you could see in case you forgot.
Well, so the next part that Paul's going to say is this one critically important accessory. If you talk, if you talk fashion or if you read fashion magazines, which I obviously don't, but if, if, if you did, there's always this conversation that follows. Here's the, here's the cool, the trendy, trendy clothes, and then here's the one accessory that you just, everyone just has got to have, you know, this bracelet, this watch. Paul is going to give us an accessory, and here's the accessory he wants us to have. Paul's accessory is, is a brooch. He says we need to have this one thing that, as, as, as Eric was saying and, and Darcy was saying, is connects it all together. It binds them all together. And this word bind has the um, commentators will tell you this, this style of, of a brooch, some sort of clip that holds. If we, could, if we could take all the clothes that Chris is wearing over there and just clip them all together. It's a strong word. There's a piece of needle that's clipping it all together. Not just a belt, not just a robe, but something that clips it all together. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't know what a brooch was until I studied for this message. I thought a brooch might be something that held your britches up, you know. <laughs> but, but I wasn't too far off. A brooch is something that holds things together. It holds it all together. For those of you who aren't, you know, who are tracking with me about not knowing what a brooch is, I looked it up in a dictionary. The word brooch means a relatively large decorative pin or clasp. That's what a brooch is. You'll see it, you know, girls wear them still. Any girls in here wear these still today? Yeah. Okay, cool. There's one brooch wearer in the room. Um, Paul says this, and above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all else, you got to have this one critically important accessory. It's a brooch which connects all these things together in perfect harmony. Now, in the old days, right, in the Greco-Roman time period, a brooch was actually a manly accessory. Um, it was a thing that you would see. Here's a, here's a statue of Caesar Augustus. He's got his, you know, it's on his right shoulder up here, and it's, putting, it's holding his robe. It's holding everything together. In the Greek, they're actually called a fibula. Okay, so, so, and it was a manly accessory to have. If you've ever watched Gladiator movies or Spartan movies, you'll notice they have these fibulas that hold it all together. Paul says we need to have this one thing that holds it all together. So how are you to show compassion to people who don't deserve your compassion? How are you to show love and kindness to people who don't deserve your kindness? How are you to bear up with people who are just hard to bear up? And how are you to forgive as Christ forgave you? Well, you do it with this one accessory that you wear every single day, and that accessory is called love. And, and Paul is saying, essentially here, we're putting on the love of Christ. So what kind of love does Christ have? How did Christ te- treat people? How did Christ treat sinners? who don't deserve to be loved? How did Christ treat the people who put him on the cross and spit on him and cursed on him? The Bible says that, um, or Paul often says that it's the, um, it's the love of Christ that compels us to love each other. And as Kelly was saying earlier, a lot of people don't really deserve that love. A lot of people don't really, you don't want to give them that love, but it's the love of Christ who gave it to you, who you really don't deserve either, that compels you to love those people. You have this accessory that you're wearing all day long, and it's called love, and, it, and, and it's the love of Christ. I like what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, love means to love that which is unlovable, or else it's not a virtue. I mean, love is a virtue, and it can't be a virtue if you're loving things that are easy to love. It's easy to love you know, your children, most of the time, right? It's very hard to love people who are unlovable. That's what makes it a virtue. That's what makes what Christ did for us, wicked, nasty, still in our sin, sinners, so amazing. 
And then, he, and then he follows with this. If we have this, this fibula that's holding all these garments together, so we have love that's making gentleness and compassion and humility and patience and all of that in perfect harmony, then we're going to have, listen to what we're going to have. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. If we have all of this love, forgiveness, patience, bearing with one another, we're going to experience the peace of Christ ruling over all of our emotions. Wow. Wouldn't it be so cool to experience peace ruling all of your emotions? I mean, can I just tell you how this makes me feel? This makes me feel like sick and hungry for peace. Like, I don't think I even know what peace feels like, honestly. I have no idea. I mean, if, if, even if I'm talking just within the church, if we loved each other and if we showed compassion to one another and if we were humble and if we were patient with each other and if we bore one another, then, Paul says, we would have peace. But I don't think I've ever had peace. I mean, if I can just vent for a little bit, I'll say this. I grind my teeth in my sleep. I mean, I wake up in, in the morning and I feel like I might not have any more molars. You know what I mean? I've grinded them all the way down almost. And lately, I don't even really sleep. <laughs> I just toss and turn all night long and I'm thinking about weird things and I can't seem to sleep and sometimes I don't sleep at all. I don't know what peace feels like. And, and if I could be real honest, I would say that probably 98% of my stress and my grinding and my sleeplessness has to do with people has to do with relationships. I'm worried about whether or not I've offended someone <laughs> and they're not going to come back to church anymore. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm worried or, or sick to my stomach because someone's offended me. Someone's gossiped. I hate gossip. Gossip's one of the things I hate more than anything. And gossipers who say things about you, whether it's true or not, it hurts and it keeps you awake at night. I have no idea what peace feels like. Rich Mullins, one of my most favorite people in the universe, he has this line in one of his songs. It says, there's people who've been friendly, but they'd never be your friends. And sometimes this has bent me to the ground. And, and, and that line always resonated with me. People suck. You know what I mean? And I lose a lot of sleep over those people. And I also know I do too. And I lose sleep over the fact that I've sucked to people. You know what I'm saying? You know what's interesting, though? If you feel the way I feel, like if you're stressed out, I mean, imagine it. We could have a church where people loved each other, where people cared for each other, and then I know that you love me, even if I offend you, right? I know you're still going to love me and you're going to forgive me, and, and I'm going to forgive you even though you've gossiped about me or hurt me, right? And then we just bear with one another. We, we forgive one another. We show compassion to each other. Then, and I believe only then, we could experience this kind of peace. Like, I'm not worried that Kelly's going to leave me, even though sometimes I'm mean to her. You know what I mean? And I think we have peace in our marriage. But if I felt like every time I messed up, she was going to be out the door and she was going to kick me to the curb, there'd be no peace in that marriage. You know what I'm saying? Did you, here, here's what I want to show you, because it, it means a lot to me, I think. It's helping me with this peace thing. Do you notice what every single one of these things have in common? Um, compassion, um, gentleness, humility, uh, patience, kindness, thank you, kindness, I need that one next. Um, forgiveness, bearing with one another, the love that, can, do you see what every single one of those has in common? Anyone want to take a stab at it? People. <laughs> you can't get dressed 
alone. <laughs> That's kind of weird, I know, but it's just the truth. You, you, in order for you to even begin to understand what it feels like to wear this brooch or to wear this shirt or to wear these jeans, you have to be in a relationship with people. In order for me to understand what humility is, I have to be humiliated in some relationship, right? In order for me to understand what compassion is, I need to have some deep sensitivity to someone else. In order for me to, to give kindness to someone, there's got to be someone who receives that kindness. In order for me to forgive, there's got to be someone to forgive. Now, when I was in college and I lived alone, it was awesome, <laughs> you know? I used to clean the kitchen and I would fold the dish rag and I'd put it right next to the right of the sink right? And the kitchen was immaculate. And then I would go into my, and I'd go into the living room and I would take my clothes off and I, most of them. And then I would have like a little pile where I'd put the dirty clothes. And that pile was a clean pile. Actually, it was my pile. And I knew that at the end of the week, I could take that whole pile downstairs and wash them. And that was cool. I could watch any TV I wanted. I had the remote. I could watch it when I wanted, how I wanted in my underwear. You know, it was awesome. Then I got roommates and everything changed. I wasn't allowed to watch TV in my underwear anymore. Sometimes I wasn't even allowed to watch TV because they were studying, you know? I mean, they can't be watching um, whatever it was that I wanted to watch. I couldn't put a pile of clothes wherever I wanted to. People got offended. I couldn't even put my dish rag to the right of the sink and then expect it to be there when I went back to the kitchen looking for a dish rag to wipe up the sink. And, and the more I had so many roommates in college and in seminary, and the more and more and more and more I had a new roommate, the more and more and more and more and more I was learning that I have no idea how people are. <laughs> I don't understand people at all. And worse yet, I don't even understand myself. Why am I so ticked about this dish rag? You know what I mean? Can you please put the dish rag back? You know, I'm so upset. Then I got married. <laughs> okay, well, let's not even go there, right? Then I really started to learn, someone who knows me intimately, how messed up I am. How uncompassionate and ungentle and unpatient. Then we had children. <laughs> and it gets worse. <laughs> Because now I've got these two little mirror images of me. <laughs> and the Lord is telling me, you have no compassion and you have no patience and you have no kindness. You cannot put these clothes on in a vacuum. You've got to be in a community where you have relationships in order to learn how to be compassionate and learn how to bear people and learn how to forgive people and then learn how to be forgiven and to be born by someone who doesn't want to bear you. You know what I'm saying? And so I just want to hammer on something that I think is important here at Missio Day. One of our values is community. Our mission statement is Christ, community, and culture. So it's all about Christ. It's all about sharing Christ. I think that's been brought out clearly in the first seven sermons here from, from Colossians. But also, it's a, Christ has called us out to be his chosen people, to be the called out ones, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. We're to be in this community, this holy priesthood. And there's no way to be in a community unless we are really in that community. And I know you and I love you and I bear your stupid idiosyncrasies. And you know me and you love me and you bear my stupid idiosyncrasies. I can't even say that word. And here's, here's what I think happens. Everyone that I know wants genuine, intimate, real community, but no one wants to do it. It's easier for me to kind of stand up on my own self-made mountain, right? And say, look at all those people down there who screw everything up. And then as soon as you climb up the mountain and get level with me and say, well, you kind of mess things up too. Then I just want to push you off the mountain. I say, get off the mountain. I'm alone by myself still. 
But, but what community really is, is we're all on the same level and I know you and I love you and I'm not going to leave you. And you know me and you love me and you're not going to leave me. But it's just easier to push them off the mountain. It's just easier to say, I'm not going to, I can't do this. You're getting too close. How dare you tell me I got a speck in my eye. <laughs> when we started this church plant, we met for one entire year before we ever launched as a leadership team. And, and our one and only goal was to like each other. I would often say, I just want us to like each other. I, I, I don't necessarily want to love you because I think church backwards, you know, makes that a backwards nice thing. I'm, I'm, you know, in the love of Jesus, you know what I mean? I just want to like you. And, and, and for me, that really is what love looks like. I like who you are and you like who I am and you respect me and I respect you. And I feel like we've gotten there. And here's what I think, and I'll just be honest, for those of you who are in the group and those of you who are going to be in the group eventually, <laughs> um, I think we're at this place a year later where I'm starting to get annoyed by some of you. You know what I mean? And, and, and I'm sure you're getting annoyed by me. And, and what's going to have to happen in the next, I think, few months is some conversations are going to have to happen. You know what I'm saying? And some real conversations are going to have to happen where I say, hey, you know what? You always drop the ball on this. Or, hey, you know what? I've watched the way you treat your kids. Or, hey, you know what? I've seen the way you treat your wife. And I'm scared to have those conversations. I'm scared that if I have those conversations, you're going to leave. I'm scared that if you have that conversation with me, I'm going to hit you in the face. But we have to have those conversations in order to learn how to be compassionate, to be gentle, to be humble, to bear, and to forgive. And this is what the church as a whole is missing entirely. Because it's easier for me to say, you know what? He offended me. I'm never going back there again. And I want peace. I want the kind of peace that I have in my marriage in this community. And my vision for Missio Day is that we would have 12, we'd have a dozen of these little community groups that meet throughout the city throughout the week and they have that same intimacy where they bear one another and they love one another and they don't just say, oh, well, you know, Bill. <laughs> one of these days, Bill's not gonna be in our group and then we'll be happy. No, we're gonna bear Bill and we're gonna forgive Bill and we're gonna love Bill and we're gonna cherish Bill because Bill's not perfect, but neither are, are you. I think that community is the fire that purifies us. And, and, can, I, and can I get a, a show of hands if you want it, if you really want it? Okay, good. Some of you don't. You, 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 you need to learn that you do really want it. The older and older I get, the more I realize that I long for peace. And the only way I'm going to get it is if I can be real with people and people can be real with me. Or else it's just going to be a bunch of surface, fake smiles, cold kindness, and masks. And we don't want masks. I'm sick of masks. I want to be real. I want you to be real. Can I get a what, what? Okay, cool. Good. I'm not alone. Here, here's what I, I, I was going to put a question here. I think I forgot to type it. Yeah, it just says discuss. Because um, <laughs> I was wrestling with this question. And the question is this. Uh, describe, without using names, without being gossipy, some situations in your life where it was hard for you to bear, it was hard for you to forgive, and it was easy for you to kind of push them off the mountain. So you know what? I'm not going to deal with you. I'm done with you. You're dead to me. You know what I mean? And, and talk about some situations where you were like, okay, I had a hard time here. Here's how I could have done it better. Or, or maybe if that's, if that's hard for you to do in, in, in your circle because you don't want to be vulnerable, um, maybe talk about why do you think it's easier and, and, and why do you think it's our inclination to keep people away rather than to let people in? so that we can learn compassion and we can learn humility and we can learn patience. So talk about that. This is deep. 
Okay, so then the last point of this little fashion lesson is how to dress for success. Paul is going to tell us how to dress for success. And, 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 and I've read some things recently because I was trying to you know, be clever about this fashion thing. So I looked up a few fashion magazines and they always have these little lines about how to dress for success. If you want the job, here's how you should dress. Or, or if, you want, if you're trying to sell, anyone salesman in the room, if you're a salesman, how to sell to a client. You don't want to overdress, right, to a client. You don't want to underdress to that client because you don't want to be too casual. You want to kind of be right in the middle. You want to be on par with your client so you can you know, make the sale. Another thing that I've always heard is you want to dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Have you ever heard that before? I always kind of like that line. You want to dress for the job you want, not the job you have. I think Paul is saying that here. You want to dress for the job you want, and what you want is Christ. You want to be Christ. And so dress like that with that kind of humility, with that kind of gentleness, with that kind of compassion. Paul says here, whatever you do, whether it be in word, whatever you say, or indeed whatever action you give, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so even the questions that we were dealing with right here, that, that's, Paul just answers it. Well, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. And then give thanks to God the Father through Christ. So whatever you do, do it to Christ. It's important that we remember here that it's all about Christ. Paul is actually telling us in this passage to put on Christ. So not necessarily to put on some jeans of humility and to put on a shirt of humbleness, but to actually put on Christ. That's how you dress for success. So you're not a very forgiving person? Well, dress like the forgiving person you want to be, not the unforgiving person you are. You're not a very patient person? Then put on those pants of a patient person rather than the impatient person pants that you always wear. Dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Wear Christ Put on Christ. The moment that we forget that this is all about Jesus, that what we're trying to put on our kindness and our gentleness and our compassion, all those things, our forgiveness, the moment we forget that those things are for Christ, through Christ, and essentially they are Christ, is the moment that we start stacking up fake smiles, fake niceness, fake. We're trying hard in our own flesh. We're pursuing the shadows, the externals, rather than pursuing the substance, which is Christ. Well, I know I'm supposed to forgive, so you're forgiven. That's not doing everything in the name of Christ Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I know I'm supposed to be nice right now, so I'm going to take a deep breath and count to 10 inside of my mind. That's not doing everything to the name of Jesus. It's all about Christ. I like what Charles Spurgeon says here. He says, the text did not say, put on this quality or, or virtue of Christ or, or put on that of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he himself is a whole. That is what is to be our array. Not this excellence or that excellence, but Christ himself. He is to cover us from head to foot. Endeavor to come into such communion with the substance, with Jesus himself, that his character begins to exude and begins to be reproduced in you. Isn't that a good quote? That's what we're striving for. And this is where I kind of need to backpedal a little bit because this is where the illustration and experience especially my poetical uh, license to pursue the fashion motif can break down. Because even when I said dress for the job you want, not the job you have, it's, it tends to kind of be an external thing, right? E even when Paul's talking about putting on these garments, it almost sounds like we can make it an external thing. Let's put on happiness. Let's put on mercy. But Paul's not actually saying put these things on and then when you get home, take them off and then forget to put them on tomorrow. He's actually saying once and for all, put on Christ's character. And there's this thing called love that binds it all together and you just be motivated 
to love. It's not something you take on and take off. It's something that you are. You are the character of Christ. But we tend to always think of it, of a thing I need to put on. Put on a happy face. Da, 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 da. You know what I mean? Put on this fake smile. Hi, how are you? I hate your guts. <laughs> Whatever you do, do it in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Mike, how are we supposed to put on the very character of Christ while at the same time not faking it? Since we're so far from the character of Christ. Christ died upon a cross where they spit on him. Jesus never spit back. They hit him. He never hit back. In fact, he said, Father, forgive them. They're, they don't know. They don't know how much I love them. How are we to put on that character when our natural inclination is to get out of my way? I'm running late. What are you doing? Get off the road. Get out of the fast lane. How dare you say that to me? Did she look at me like that? I know she didn't. You know what I'm saying? That's our tendency. How do we put on the character of Christ without faking it? Because I think that the church, again, because we're so excited about shadows and externals, we've convinced people that you need to kind of fake it. Try harder, be better, do good, or it'll come in time. I also think that the secret is, and Paul usually ends with it, I think, with the end. He says, give thanks to God. Here's why I think that. It's because if you're thankful then you are typically going to give to others. I'll give you an example. If you're really thankful that you have a home, Lord, thank you for this home. I mean, we have a beautiful home. I mean, it's not like his home, but it's beautiful and it's perfect for us. I'm so thankful for this home. We have a good place here. If you're thankful for that, then you're going to be sensitive to people who don't have that and you're going to want to invite them in. You're going to want to give them home. Lord, thank you for this food that is before us. How many times do we say grace as an external thing that we do every day, but we're not really thankful for the food? But if you're really thankful for the food, Lord, I thank you for this food. I, a lot of people don't have food, and I'm eating good food. Then when you see people with no food, you want to give them food. You want to love them. You want to give them um, you know, compassion. When you're truly thankful for what you have in Christ, that you've been forgiven, and you're, think, and you're thinking, Lord, thank you, for forgiving me again when I don't deserve it. And you could take me out right now and be justified in doing it because I'm still walking in ungratitude for what you've given me. But I'm thankful for that. Then you're gonna be quick to forgive people when they want forgiveness because you're constantly thinking, this is what God has done for me. How can I not forgive them? G.K. Chesterton said, the secret of life is either gratitude or um, taking it for granted. Are you going to take life for granted or are you going to be full of gratitude? And if you're full of gratitude, then I think you will walk in compassion. You will walk in humility because you have no reason to puff yourself up. In fact, Jesus tells a story that I'm going to end with because I think it's convicting enough. The story is found in Matthew um, chapter uh, 18, and it's about gratitude. It's about forgiveness. <clears throat> I'll just read it. You can listen. These are Jesus's words. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And so he began to settle, and one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had in order so that the payment can be made. And so that servant fell on his knees imploring, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. 
out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred pennies, seized him, began to choke him saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and he went and he put him in prison until he could pay his debt back. Now, when the fellow servants saw what was going on, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. And then this master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, 10,000 talents, because you pleaded with me and you should have had mercy on the fellow servant who only needed a hundred. I had mercy on you. Why did you not have mercy on him? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay back his 10,000 talents. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Why did he have to put those last three words there? If we've been given much, how much more should we give? And if we've been forgiven much, how much more should we forgive? We should put on gentleness, humility, compassion, kindness, love, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, because Christ has been compassionate and forgiving and kind and bearing to us. Would you pray with me?